You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy weather Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Kick him out the door. Kick him out the Two books, I've never opened them. She's, she's left them to me. And, and we're on air. Are we? <laughs> Are we? We got surprised there. See you, Susie. Thanks for a great show today. Uh, did you actually listen to it? Did you? It's always a great show. No, no, hang on. Did you make that up or did you listen to the show? We need a bit of honesty at this program. I was program. working. I was at work. I well, how do you know listen. it's a great show? It could have been ratchet. It's, I just said it's always a great show. So oh. stop being Ricky, Ricky, Ricky Spencer is our guest. Oh, here. just a moment. I've got to bring Ricky into the studio. So what just do you mean? But she's the on the show. phone. How yeah, I've got to bring her into the technical oh, area. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR. Streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. I'm talking to the world's former greatest producer, Kelly Whitworth, and we have Ricky Spencer on the telephone line. Is that correct? Hi. Yes. Yes, I'm here. Oh, you're there. That means you're not an Optus customer. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, actually, I, I think I am. Yes, but, he... Well, I'm sort of. Uh, one of those subsidiaries. Uh, Dodo. I think oh, Dodo. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look, so, uh... you know, part of our lovely new liberalist way of the telephony. Yeah. yeah. That, um, you know, one person pays another company. But, darling, I wanted to say I love the song because as well as freaking out about how am I going to get the reception, storm, stormy weather. Well, in West Footscray, it's stormy. And I don't know if you're one of these people or your listeners uh, in West Footscray, where I'm from, every time it rains, the tele- all my internet goes um, non-existent. <laughs> so, well, that's uh, good. crossed, we're all alive and we're coming through live well, on the we're not in, we're not in Gaza, so first world problems. First world well, problems. Oh, look, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, look... Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be rude here. I don't like having people. I like talking to people. How does that sound? Oh well, darling, that sounds really good. good. And look, I have to say to every listeners, um, thank you for allowing me to do it over the telephone because I attended a conference earlier this week, and as some people may know, we've got another round of COVID doing um, yes, all of Victoria, yeah. and um, it's, you know, it's something that we don't hear about. And look, I've got to wait, but I just want to put my two cents in worth. You know, they talked about all this government support and provision, yeah. but do you know how hard it is to get those tests now? Yeah, it doesn't ex- those, they, they tell you no, now not to worry about it. They tell you, well, sorry, we can't help you go and buy them from the chemist. And if you're a pensioner like me, every every twenty cents counts. And I said, oh, but I'm on a pension and you know, I'm immunocompromised. And they said, oh, well, so are a lot of other people. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about and it. I'm That's like, right. Oh, it's the subsidy. Oh, the subsidy for social security beneficiaries has been removed. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you're not a pensioner. You're a social security beneficiary. The state, the state assists you so you won't go wild in the streets causing d- distress to good people like me and Kelly. 
Well, I haven't yet. I haven't taken arms yet, so to speak. Yes. And when I mean by arms, it's like my pots and pans and demand um, a social revolution yet. No. But I tell you what, I'm very close. You're and very today close. I'm going, yeah. I'm going to be speaking about something that is so passionate and it underlies every single no, 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 hang on, social hang on, hang policy on. in Australia. Look, Ricky, you got it wrong. I ask the questions, all right? Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's the way it goes. I don't know what Kelly told you, oh, but she's just she's the draft horse. I'm the show pony, all right? Oh, darling, that's fine by me. I like to be led by a good man. Well, I, don't, I wouldn't use the word good. I wouldn't call him good either. <laughs> now, Ricky, what year were you born? I was born in 1968. Wow, the year of revolution. I was, how old was I in 68? I was 17. I was looking at those oh. French people throwing Molotov cocktails in the Sabon and picking up the cobblestones. And you were born. That is a very Absolutely. auspicious year to be born. Were you born in Melbourne? I was, well, as far as I'm aware, I think I was, I was born in Melbourne. Oh. Um, and I was, from what I can gather, uh, in, in a suburb called Footscray. Footscray, yeah. That's right. Uh, what do you mean from what you can gather? This sounds a little bit uh, cloak and dagger. What's going on here? Well. Look, you don't have to answer has, any questions I no, ask. Just answer no, what you well, want to. Well, it's an interesting story because mm. for a long time I was always wondering why I never looked like my family. It didn't relate and there was a sort of distinct hatred to certain cultures whenever they were presented on the television. Mm-hmm. And it, it turns up that I found out uh, growing up later in my life that I was adopted mm-hmm. and that my birth mum was Indigenous right. and my father was European mm-hmm. for European descent. So there's a lot of, was a lot of hostility mm-hmm. and then it sort of, you know, culminated by the fact of obviously complex by my identity mm. uh, and, you know, the fact that... Now, 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 Ricky, I know you think everybody knows everything, but what do you mean by your, your identity? Okay, so to let everyone know, my identity, you know, I see my gender identity, mm-hmm. my positionality, you know, right. wrapped up into my cultural beliefs, yep. my view of the world, who I am, what I am. Mm. So, when you're a little little person wandering the streets of Footscray, um, did you feel any different or did you just meld it into your adopted family? No, I was always an outcast. Right. Very different. From mm. the age of four, I was running away from home all the time. Right. And, and in those days, the, the, um, the way it would be, you'd just be belted up you know, physical uh, punishment. Mm. And this was something that, you know, throughout my whole life, I was kind of, um, that was the part of the culture in the 70s and 80s that, you know, and, you know, I was ostracised at school because I sounded different, I looked different, I didn't play sports. So you had that, I was the person in the school that was the uh, token uh, homosexual mm. before I even knew what that word was. Right, right. At, at four or five years of age. People identified so I, you, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I'd get spat on, abused, and mm. and I didn't even know what that meant. So I grew up with that complex from a very early age of being stigmatised and different. Mm. And, of course, when you grow up and you don't sound like your family. And, of course, my my parents were, like, in their late 40s and 50s yes. when they had me. Mm. So, And all that my uh, siblings were in their 20s. Right. There was no kind of understanding or relationship. So mm. I was alone, trapped in a house where they had locks and everything, and all I had as an escapism was religion. That's all I was allowed so to. So is, that why, is, that, is that why you think you were adopted? They felt that it was their duty to adopt? Somebody? Absolutely, yes, mm. it was. And remember, in the 60s and 70s, you know, religious institutions played a significant and role in, in, in a lot of um, multi- in people who had come to Australia in the 40s, 50s and 60s, mm. a strong ideological hold. Yes. You know, probably a bit similar to, well, you know, what we have a little bit different now, but in that period of time, if you came into a country and you had to assimilate but all you had in terms of connecting with your own 
people was through religion. So not many people understand or don't look at that, is religion was like a safe, institutional, legitimate way that peoples of the same culture mm. could congregate together, speak their first language, mm-hmm. and be accepted by the wider uh uh, colonialist uh, society. Mm. Are you happy to uh, tell us which religious group? Yeah, Roman Catholic. Right, yeah. They had a... Look, I'm, uh, I was born in this country, what, over 70 years ago, and, uh, yeah, the Roman Catholics got a lot to answer for, as we see every day. Yeah, so there would have been a great pressure on your adopted parents to adopt you. Great pressure from the church. You know, it was a thing to do when you look back at it. So you survived primary school. Hello, Ricky. There we go. I think. Uh, Hello. Yes. Oh, oh well, if you come back, what? There was a bit of hailstorm yeah, around your place, uh, was there? I think so. I think the gods have spoken. Well, I think or, she. Uh, I think she answered us because she thought I was being impertinent. You know. You know. So she is punishing us. I think Ricky's disappeared again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are we going to do? You're the world's greatest <laughs> producer. I'm just a talking head. Come oh, on. What are you going to do about I this? We're going to go to a short song and, and you're going to ring I'm up again. Call her back. Call her back. All right. <laughs> Here we go. One moment. Let me find something. Here we go. I'm so should be back with us now, Joe. Ricky, have you been to heaven and back? I have. Yeah, I wouldn't be and surprised. <laughs> you got you went up there to speak to her to, to make sure that she's not going to st- stop us talking. Is that right? Well, that's correct. Yeah. And I have been directed to use 4G instead of um, the internet. That's my right. My 4G Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're an Optus lad. I've had the best 10 hours of my life today because nobody oh. rang me. The net was down. It was wonderful. Kelly sent, oh. Don't, didn't you get all the messages I sent you? I was oh. just like a little girl. <laughs> oh. You know what? And this is interesting. We're so reliant now every time on telephones and, you know, computers. And I remember, you know, in the good old 80s and, not, and early 90s, it was, that was it, you know, we didn't That's care. Right. You know? Yeah. And now all of a sudden everyone's life goes haywire yeah. if we can't get onto the, the NBN goes down. But don't get me started on that. No, because, no, I'm not going to get you started on that. Let's go, let's, <laughs> let's, you, yeah, let's, let's, let's go, go to high to school. Be. Let's go to high school. That's right, darling. Take me to high where, school. Where did you go to high school? I not Footscray Secondary at, College. Uh, no, no, it had to be religious. Yes. So it was a school called... St. John's College in Braybrook, uh, which is, I now think, Caroline Chisholm College. Yes. Which is a, a, 
uh, but it was an all boys school, year mm-hmm. seven to ten, mm-hmm. and then that was co-ed from year uh, well, it's called form five, but it's year eleven and twelve. Did you get in, to year twelve? Yes, I did. Oh, However, amazing. I know well it was a bit sad because I left after term one because of the bullying in the classroom. Still bullying. Of, Primary school, oh, secondary college. Yep, and worse. It got worse because yeah. by eleven and twelve. Everyone was into relationships. Mm. And remember, in 1985, 86, was at the peak of the AIDS pandemic oh, that's right. you know, yeah. in Australia. Mm. You know, we had, the, we had the wave in America in mm. the early 80s. Yes. And now the stigma was yes. infiltrating Australia at its yes. peak around the mid-80s. And I was, because of the way I looked yeah. and sound, I was, you know, in the classroom, I'd be smacked in the head. Or, and the teacher wouldn't yell at the person, they yell at me for mm. causing it. Mm. So mm. one time I remember I got up and I left and um, I always, I regretted that decision for 30 years. Right. It took me 30 years to really accept that it was I was not in control. And But yeah, it was just something that stood with me and it's kind of led me to the path of social activism ever since right. in 1986. Yeah. So... How are you different in this? Would you dress differently? No, because we had uniforms. It yeah. was just my my way I presented myself right. to the world. Right. Um, my, and I think, and I, and I write a lot about this about the power of voice. And you know, now we mm. speak about how voice we encapsulate voice as you know the important tool of. Mm. Um, you know, community activism and strength and power. Yes, but yes. in the 80s, if you did not sound a certain way, That's right. and what I mean by that is if you weren't, you did not present as male, yeah. um, you were ostracised. You were seen uh, less than the... Uh, you were seen as you were masquerading as a male, and for that you were to be punished. And it was sort of like, well... You know, we were. I was seen as something that had caused AIDS mm. in the community. I was seen as something to be viled. Mm. So people, you know, even the teachers didn't care no. because that was the culture at the time. And the teachers that probably did sort of feel a bit sorry for me didn't know how to how to how to react because maybe of fear of themselves for disclosure that they might be inferred uh, as being you know, from the LGBTIQ space, although mm. I haven't used that word in those days, no. or the fact that they themselves were repulsed mm. and it blamed me for what was happening. Mm. So I was kind of, um, you know, I learned very early on in life that I really had to surveil my surroundings and I lived in fear, um, you know, and I remember that, you know, like just to add to the school, my biggest memory was in year year, year 11, when I was walking home from school and one guy came out of the blue and just punched me in the head uh, and knocked me to the ground and that nobody came to my aid and I was in my uniform mm-hmm. and I remember I was bleeding and I was in shock and I didn't know what to do. So I went to the doctors and they fixed me up because mm-hmm. I was bleeding out of my ear and then I went to the police station because I was so upset and angry because mm-hmm. that's what the doctor said and the police people laughed at me yeah. and they said, well, look at you. Look at the way you look. If you act like that, you deserved it. Mm-hmm. Just go home and be thankful that they didn't do worse. They didn't kill you. So, didn't, yeah, didn't, yeah. Didn't and throw it, you in the torrents like what's yeah, happening and, yeah, or, yeah, or stoned to death, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, and, and see, I had to realise that at an early age, in 1985, you know, you learned very quickly that you had no support. Police mm. kind of did not like you. Um, people in the doctors, well, they, they had pity on you, but they didn't support. Or, and when I got home, I was, I was hit by my own family. Mm. and laughed at and said that I had caused it. So I grew up thinking, internalising that my position, the way I look, is I bring this on myself. I am to blame and that nobody else is to blame. I caused this. There's some defect in myself that I have sinned that I needed to kind of, you know, do something about that to change. Mm. So what happened Mm. when you left high school? Well, I, I went to work. Um, and that I didn't like because, it, you know, what, what work could I do? You know, 
I worked in, in sales mm. and again I found discrimination in those spaces where mm. people would laugh at me uh, and that was like even the managers. You know, I worked in a shoe shop mm-hmm. and again I would just be laughed at and um, you know, sexual innuendos thrown my way. So I didn't last very long in that because I didn't feel safe. It reminded me. And then going from the work back to home to catch the bus, I would then always be sniggered on the bus or the train. So I'd always be in fear of someone speaking on the back of me or, or, or worse, you know, attack, attacking me with a knife. Mm. So I had to always, always live. So I went back to school in uh, 19 like a year after, I think it was 87 yep. or 88, mm-hmm. did my year 12 at a TAFE college, and that was much more supportive. I then went on to university and did my first degree. Yeah, then I went on to university. Excuse yeah. me, excuse me. What university? Uh, sorry, in the first university, it was called in those days Victoria College. That's not a university. And, and, yeah, and then it, it wasn't became, a university there, it was a college. Come on, Ricky. Yeah. Yeah, Victoria College. I'm just pulling, I'm just I, pulling your leg. Okay. Oh, okay, darling. I'm just yeah, pulling your College. leg, all right. <laughs> no worries, darling. You know, there's a hierarchy of universities. You understand There that. was. Yeah. I do. Right. However, however, with hierarchies, I was at the Turak campus. So oh, well, that's all right know. then. I don't know you're one of us. Of, you're an acad- you're one of us. You're an intellectual. Sem- well, sort of, you know, sort of <laughs> in those days. Yeah. And, you know, I loved it. And that was the first time uh, that I felt safe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even in those days, you know, and I did a major uh, in sociology, community development, psychology. Right. But even in sociology, deviancy as a unit, mm. homosexuality was still embedded in the course of deviancy. Yes, yes. And that tells you that it was seen. And, and you know, and he, but what was good, I have to say, in my first degree, is that's when I first learned about the word CD community development and the power of the oppressors and oppression Mm. so how long when did how old were you when you left home i left i ran away from home Mm. when i was about 19 right i literally ran away from home i grabbed a garbage bag called a taxi and went to live with an older male right right Mm. Mm. and uh where did this uh, degree lead to? Well, after I did that uh, three-year degree, uh, I, had, I built my strong passion for community development. And I really saw, and at that time, I was having a bit more of a connection with the, the gay community. And I'm referring to the gay community because at that period, there was no acronym. It was gay That's and lesbian right. community. Yeah. So, And I started to see, and make connections with people but I noticed that people I was meeting were dying. And mm. so I started doing a lot of volunteer work uh, with the Victorian AIDS Council and supporting um, people who were, you know, in their final stages. Because remember, at that period of time, people, once they were um, had been tested, all that it was like a 12-month, you know... Or death sentence, that's what it was. Death yeah. sentence, and yeah. there was deterioration quite mm. quickly. Yeah. So... You know, it was, and, and uh, just a quick uh, side note to that, when I speak to people that in the early days when we attended as groups to 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 learn and support. God's intervened. Oh, no, well, it sort of did one way. Hang, hang on, Ricky, just, just slow down. We're having a bit of trouble hearing you. Uh, I assume it's oh, the weather. Yeah. Yeah, it's as if you've been strangled. Can you hear me now, darling? We can't hear you. What were you doing? Were you being strangled? No, 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 maybe my voice. No, darling, I was saying that at that period of time uh, where we had our our area meetings, Mm. no government department or state government and council would allow us to meet because of fear of uh, ostracism by the wider community and death threats. So the only places that allowed us to congregate with churches. Right. So we were allowed to rent church halls. Mm-hmm. And even in that case, we also had to have one person who had to stand outside and watch the cars 
and safely to walk because there would be people that would want to meet and bash us just for meeting together or yes, hurt us. Yes. So that tells you the era. So that's why it's interesting when people talk about, and I'm not taking away from what happened with COVID because mm. I've been impacted, yes. but if you take your mindset going back to the 80s when even caring for your friends, mm. was, uh, you would be assaulted for that. Uh, because that acknowledgement of you going into a space, you were somehow seen as a leper and you were the instigator, you were the cause of what was happening. And we weren't so much targeted unless, until the media started reporting things about the blood yes. and about babies dying mm. and uh, drug users. And, women, and it, we were always still seen to blame. Mm. Mm. Yeah. How difficult was it for you, because you were relatively young, looking after young men who are basically um, kind of disappearing before your eyes because dying of uh, AIDS is, was a, and it is for a lot of people still in the third world, a very painful, horrible experience. You know, what sticks with me the most, and I don't, you know, just seeing bodies that the smell mm. will always stay with me, the smell of death. Yep. And just seeing what a human body looks like towards the end of life. And that fear always has lived with me, probably up till now. And just the pain and shame of those that had partners at the time who weren't even allowed, like if the, once the person was about to die or just died, and then the family would come in. A lot of the cases, the the, the 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 partner of the person who had died, all the friends, like we were, we were told to get out. Yeah, you're all ostracised. We, it was your fault. We, yeah, I remember that we period. Were the, yeah. yeah, yeah, we were the fault. We were the blame. Yep. And you mentioned so the grief was never really um, processed no. in a way. And that's why I think sometimes younger people in this generation don't understand like you know we have world aids day and i think oh it's about all about the ribbon you know and that and i say no the ribbon is a symbol but the the kind of dealing with with not having a sense of you know your position being acknowledged and dealing with the shame that stays with you that's that it it might get better but yeah Yeah. i'll leave it at there but that yeah that period really yeah, they're body snatchers. The fam- well, people, they're body snatchers. You may have been living with somebody, have a relationship for 20 or 30 years, you're banned from the funeral, you're not mentioned. It's as if that relationship never existed. It's a, it's a horrendous situation to find yourself in, and I know many men and women who found themselves in that situation because of their sexuality, and some continue, you know, because of the laws, as you know. Look, uh, I've got to do something really crude now. I've got to do a kind of announcement this is radical australian community radio 3cr streaming live on 3cr.org.au kelly whitworth has spoken to god and she's made sure that there's not going to be any problems for the rest of the program and i'm chatting we don't interview i'm chatting with ricky spencer unfortunately who comes from west footscray that's your worst stigmata you realize is the fact that you you come from footscray You, you, you cannot you cannot get rid of Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. We know you love listening to 3CR, but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. 
can I just say that that's a now I'm I'm almost about to be other unable to afford to live in with. I know it's all gentrified. It's all gentrified, and I've got and, I, and this is a fair income. Truth, I am I am renting the cheapest property in West Footscray. How much? How much a week? <laughs> well, at the moment it's three fifty, but it's going up yeah. possibly to four hundred a week. Yeah. And that is, is if you look, because I search every day on the internet uh, on that, and the cheapest house, or the average price for a two-bedroom home, is now five hundred and fifty dollars per correct. week. That's yeah. In look, West Footscray, mm. I got some advice for you. Look, I do, I do a, a lecture every month at the Footscray Hotel in Hopkins Street, which hasn't changed oh. since, since the sixties. They've got rooms to rent upstairs if things get desperate. Oh, darling. <laughs> but, darling, you know me, I'm a hoarder. Every room is packed to the rafters. I've got books behind me. I've got flowers. I've got plastic. I've got things from the 40s, 50s, 60s all around. I've got four cats um, in my wardrobe. Hello? Well, I hope you don't get evicted because you won't be able to find another place, mate. You're going to have to oh, find a caravan darling. park. I tell you what, you know, and I think I'm too old to be a showgirl or yeah. walk the street. Well, I can't walk the streets because I have to wheel myself to the streets. Oh my! And the, rea- and the reality is, and I have to have humour because humour is the way you get. Oh, it's the only way. You know, you there's know a I, you know there's a festival oh, of uh, critical uh, comedy this uh, weekend on the 11th and 12th. Oh, yeah, oh, at, wow. uh, it's at at uh, the four four three two Queen Street. It's been. Hosted by the Awkward Giraffe, which is a non-profit organisation which is set up by Jeremy Dixon, the father of Eurydice Dixon, the younger comedian who was uh, raped and murdered in 2018. Oh, wow. So, you know, you'd be welcome. You'd be welcome. Oh, darling. Because, you know what, one thing that gets me, and this could go into so many angles, but you know, one when you get older, you get more invisible. Yes. So that's one good thing for me. Mm. But because I'm trans, because I'm bigger. You're kidding? Are you trans, Ricky? I can't believe I'm it. A What's going on here? <laughs> I'm a trans woman trapped in a in a in a body. Hang on, hang on. And when did you make when did you make this? When did you realise? Oh. Oops. God's interfering. Every time we ask an interesting question, God interferes. Maybe you could move away from the microphone a little bit, Ricky? No? Hello? That's better. Every oh, time, okay. every... It just goes out for like 10 seconds every yeah. now and then. Yeah, it's then. God. She oh. is interfering in the interview. Every time we ask an interesting question, oh, she interferes. Gosh. She does. Look, since four years of age. Since four years of age. That's because I had this dream. And it's been a vivid dream, and I have written about a dream where I sat in the car, and on the back of the car were my testicles. Right. And I don't know. And it's, I think it's hilarious now. I dreamt about my testicles being on the back. You know, in the days when the cars had uh, the little dog, the, the little dog in the yeah. back. Yeah. 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 So, well, everyone had dogs. I had two bouncy testicles. Right. And, and that, that sort of said to me, "This is." And I've always wondered about. And I grew up and bathed in time. I thought, "Why are they?" They are useless. I have no purpose for them. And but really, it was about gender dysphoria. But it was the fact that you know I never identified with that body, and the, the fact that my voice and it just made sense. Mm. But I never did do any affirmation till I turned forty-eight. Right. So there you go. Right now, getting back to your uh, birth mother, mm. um, when did you start thinking about making contact, or if, or did you ever make contact? No, I've thought about it, mm. but I'm, it's it's because of what happened in the past. <coughs> sorry, there's a lot of processing still for me. Right. Of, I don't of, want to pry. Uh, I don't want to pry. If you don't want to go no, into it, that's no, fine. No, that's fine. I say I'm still dealing with the fact that the people I was with for so long, mm. I disowned or they disowned me eight years ago. Right. So you're dealing with a lot of um, attachment, mm-hmm. you know, and, and about and dealing with untruths that were spoken for so long right. over the years. And, and what was so heartbreaking for me is that when I disconnected, nobody told me that they had sold, the family had sold the family home mm. and they had thrown away all my photos because I had been left all my school reports, all my books, all my childhood memories were apparently just burnt over the tip. Mm. 
And that was hard to process. So it's like your whole life that you'd lived for 40 years or so mm. never really existed. It was based on lies. And and so I don't, you know, people say to me, oh, you need to get, you know, your proof and blah, blah, blah and find this. But I say to no, people... No, do, you don't need to do anything. Don't, don't be pushed I, into it. Don't be pushed into it. And that's how I feel. And I sort of say, look, I'm trying to process who I am now. And it's the first time at 55 now I am mm. that I can just be who I want to be. I'm yeah. not accountable yeah. to anybody. And I am and I love doing advocacy and volunteer. I was never allowed to do that. Even when I left home at 18, I was still under the control. I was told to never do anything public. You've got to hide who you are because, you know, and, and, and I would bring shame to all the family if I was vocal with any work. So I was indoctrinated and a lot of my work I did with community was in silence mm. and, and in the background I never went out and it's only like in, in like 46 47 that I finally and a, a big story too so I re- did my I went back to the bachelor's social work did that for 25 years then realized excuse I me to, excuse me it took you 25 years to get a Bachelor of Social Work. No, no, no okay, well, come on, that's what it sounded like. Oh, I've, no, I thought, no, I thought no, I've met some perennial students, but I thought you were going to be no, get the no, gold no, medalist. Pretty close. No, I did. I went and did the social work degree. It was like two years mm-hmm. after you did your four years, because in those days you could do it two years after you did your, your arts degree. Did that, and then I went and practiced in, in government, non-government, but then I saw the need for teaching, because believe it or not, I always had a passion and love for teaching. Don't ask me why, because I was bullied. That's where my most pain came from, but I was drawn to it. So I went back as the oldest student at Victoria University, right. and I did the Bachelor of Education. I went back and did the four years. So I went back there, got finished that, got work, doing, you know, casual and that. And then during that process, I Hello, Ricky. I think... Hello? Rick, there you are. You're back. You're back. Oh, this is incredible. We, we need you in the studio one day, Ricky. Hello? Hello? Uh, yeah, you there, Ricky? Oh, yes. Can you hear me? I'm afraid so. We oh, couldn't before. Good. We couldn't before. You were oh, you you, you 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 were teaching. You were going to do this. You were going to do that. You know, oh, you love teaching. Okay. We got so all quickly, that. Yeah. Okay, I got teaching. Then I realised I couldn't hide it anymore, and I refer myself to the uh, education uh, recruitment agencies that I'm a gender, you know, trans woman. And yeah, what, 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 what what year was this? Two uh, thousand after two or before? But, but no, they were like after two thousand and. Uh, 16, 2017. That's, yes. But, no, but it wasn't good because no one would hire me. After I spent myself as a trans woman, Mm. non-binary, which meant that, you know, I may not pass for some people, Mm -hmm. the schools just didn't want me. They were too difficult. And I applied for over 50 positions. Were these private schools or state government schools? No, both. 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 And uh, if I didn't write on my application... I was trans, I'd get an interview, but mm. if I did, I wouldn't. So I thought, okay, that's ridiculous. I went back to Melbourne Uni, did a Master's of Education in Equity and Diversity, thinking that this might help. And in my cohort of 100 colleagues, not one, and I came out, obviously, to those colleagues, not one of my colleagues when we finished the Master's ever came up to me and said, oh, Ricky, you know, I will recommend you for our school or... You know, you'd be great to do a speech. Not one person. And mm. these are all mostly from elite schools all around Melbourne. Right. You know, you're talking about your Wesleys. You're talking yeah, about... Well, they pride you know, themselves on their, uh, what's the call, inclusiveness. As long well, as you got that, as, it, lo- as long as you can pay the fees. As long as you can pay the fees. <laughs> but only inclusiveness, I have to say, for students, not for your teaching staff. Right. Your teaching staff mm. have to be binary. They have to present and dress as male or female mm. and adhere to strict uh, codes of behaving. And unfortunately, and then one person said to me, Ricky, no one will listen to you or take you seriously until you do a PhD and have a PhD in your hand. Then maybe you'll get acceptance. And that's why my journey, you know, starting my PhD is on that, to try and look at what is the unconscious bias that allows teachers to not select 
material and curriculum that embraces diversity? Why are teachers still uncomfortable to only bring in material which is binary, heteronormative, mm. and not explore different ways of being? And, you know, I don't want to change the world. I just want it to be able to work. And that, to me, is the problem. You know, we have inclusivity for our kids, but we don't have it for teachers and, and work professionals in schools. And that's where I am. And because of my health has been deteriorating, um, you know, maybe it's too late for me, but I'm hoping it might make a change maybe in five or ten years' time. But, you know, we've got to keep going. So, so advocacy never stops. It keeps going. No, no, nothing ever stops, and things go backwards, as we've seen through history. Things because yeah. you, because things go forward doesn't mean they can't go backwards. Oh, and they do. They yeah. do go back. If you if you don't struggle, now I'm going to ask a very serious question. Obviously, you're doing your PhD at Melbourne University. Mm. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Ah, yes. Praise uh, be the Lord! Finally, the Lord. somebody oh, from my God. old alma mater. Thank oh. God. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Victoria University. No, darling. No. I'm, I'm an elitist. You understand that. Oh, yeah. look, that's, that's fine. And I guess I'm a bit of that too because, you know, growing up... It does open it was, doors. It does. And the, but what upset me was that when I did the Masters there, and look, I was one of those that loved, you know, everything about it, the fact that nobody wanted to connect with me. Yes. And that just showed me a little bit. I was not surprised mm. but more disappointed that that value is still there, you know, that there is this, well, do we really want someone who's older and, and, and that's not looking really female to be presenting in our school, you know, and that's the sad thing. Why do, why do people, and this goes to any activists out there who's listening, what they, people, groups of people always think we're taking something away from them. We're not adding to diversity or we're not adding to the richness of our workspace or a community space. It's always seemed as though we're taking their platform away from them. And that's further from the truth. Yeah. Can I ask you, um, well, you may not want to answer this, but why you're in a wheelchair? Oh, no, I'm in sticks, darling. Sticks. I've got, sticks. I've got, got I've got sticks. Hit, I've got hips that I've got a displaced right hip. Right. So you were, born, you, were born, you were born with a displaced right hip, were you? No, no, this just happened later in my life. Right. Because um, in about the 2000, when, oh, long story short, in, in between in the, between the 2000s, I got very unwell mentally. Right. And I was hospitalised. Mm -hmm. And I did was on a strong medication called Syracal. Yep. And I was on Syracal for about 12 years, up to about 800 to 1,000 milligrams That is a huge a amount. Yeah, look I, I'm, yeah so, look, I hate to tell you this. I've been a doctor for 47 years, and that is a huge amount. Yeah, so to let you know, so their best thing mm. for me was mm. to say, Ricky, you just got to, well, they called me my male name at that stage, you've got to be on this medication for life because there's yep. no other thing for you. Mm. So you mentioned that medication, all I did was eat. Yep. So my yep. body and my metabolism yep. and the, the inside didn't process. So my weight tripled. And so what, so, what, how much? How many kilos did you get to? Uh, what? Did you say about one one fifty? Yeah. And you know, you don't look. Not that I've seen you, but you don't. You're not tall, are you? I'm ten. Five foot ten. Yes, average height. That's a huge weight bear to bear on your hips, isn't it? Yeah. And, and feet. So I can. I don't. I have sleep hat. Can't sleep on a. Mm. All these other hormones. Um, and so when you had all this medication, and this is why I do a lot of work, well, advocacy volunteer in in mental health because yeah. we're prescribed all these drugs. No one tells us how it has later on in our lives. The fact that it, it, it affects our sleeping cycles and and does this to our bodies, and then we, and our memory, so all these things have impacted me, and to the point now where I'm, I'm barely able to do anything. Right. But I'm still determined to live. I still feel like I've lost so many years of being put down, mm. and that I want to do something while I'm still living and make a change, and that's why I do a lot. And I have to. Say, Blessing of COVID, which allowed my 
to use Zoom as a way to connect with different communities. So I do a lot of my advocacy work via Zoom, mm-hmm. and that gets you know that's so important because we have to connect, and this is why you know I strongly and now I do a lot of things called access keys, and access keys for your listeners is that we develop. Uh, inclusion. Um, hang on, uh, hang on, hang on. You're not the queen or the king. We? <laughs> <laughs> What's we? Who's we? Oh, Come sorry, on, sorry. I'm going to out okay. you. Who's we? You Who are you working with? Yeah, okay, no. I did some work with Drummond Street uh, in the disability right. space. There are different spaces I'm involved in. So I'm involved with Volunteering Victoria. Right. I'm involved with, uh, do a lot of co-design spaces um, with uh, different uh, government agencies in digital health. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at things like if people want to know how to get to a surgery, doctor surgery, what would help people is if they could be like uh, electronic keys on the web or on hard copy that have photos of you know the, the the building sites, the the dimensions of the door, whether there are gender diverse toilets, uh, what the lighting is like, what mm-hmm. the parking is like, what the transport, if the road surface to get to the building is on a slope, or whether there are stairs, what are the dimensions of that, what the cost of parking is. It's those little things that when you have uh, many other kind of conditions so that help you at ease to know how am I going to get to my appointment or my space? What are the conditions I need to be aware of? Like the seating. Are the seating for small people or can a bigger person be accommodated? Right. It's, it's those little things, what people call the minutiae, but mm. it's the minutiae that are actually important because that's what makes your experience in healthcare more um, accessible. Well, it's the minutiae which actually um, lead us to kill our neighbours, you know, the barking dog, the fence dispute, you know, it just goes on and on. So it's those little things that are really not important, but if they're constant, uh, it's difficult. Are you living in a flat or or a house? Oh, no, darling, house, two-bedroom house. Oh, yeah, at least, well, yeah, Footscray, two-bedroom house. Don't leave. You're not going to get another. No, place. I know I won't. For that, so, I mean, I've, I've, I've finally resented to the fact that I've, I've gone on to the housing uh, list. You know, the, yep, the yep, the that, combined list. Yep, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I want to be as independent as I can, and you know, I just feel that I'm, I want to do something about the housing crisis because I feel as though people don't get it. Like I, I wanted to quickly say. I don't know if your listeners are aware, but hopefully they'll be aware. Like, there's been an uh, announcement that the cost of internet to your home is going up for NBN. And they say, oh, it's only the last two or three years. But can you imagine having a Yeah, Ricky, we're losing you. We're losing you. Yeah, I don't know. It's whether you're kind of not near the telephone or whether God's interfering. No. Uh, I think it's because you live in West Footscray. <laughs> What's that? Thunderstorms. Yeah, thunderstorm, thunderstorm. Thund- thunderstorm asthma for the telephone lines. Ricky, I'm trying to fill in time here because people can't hear you. So oh, now you're back, now you're back. I told you it's about a 20-second drop. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, don't apologise. Hang on, hang on. I got on a rant. (laughs) Well, you know, look, Ricky, you can go on a rant, but nobody cares. You know that. Oh, well, I'll tell you, everyone will care who's listening because your NBN costs are going to go up very shortly Uh, for your minimum service level. uh, It's going to have an impact. You realise I don't care. You know why? You know why? I'm not oh, on the internet. Free. Oh, there you go, darling. Well, yeah, see, see, I've, 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 I've found the secret of life, which I think you haven't found yet. What's that? You surround yourself with talented young people and you get them to do the work for you. Yes, but how do you cope when your doctors and your physicians tell you that you need to have a telehealth or you have to have your appointments virtually? Well, you tell them you don't want to well. see. You, you tell them you don't want to see their face, but you're happy to talk to them on the phone. Well, no. Well, they say no. You need to have it 
via the internet. Well, they get paid more for a internet consultation. Wow. That's the way it goes, mate. It's it's about private medicine. But you see, this is where we're heading. There's yep. a big push, as you may know, the yep. digital health and servicing. Mm. And this is my issue: is that you know, yes, it's great to have people who are regional and remote. However, like we're talking on the on the phone, and the interconnectivity isn't great. So how are you going to fix that up? And then I have to pay. And now I'm being told if I want a premium service where I get less of these outages, I have to pay a minimum of 145 a month. Well, so well, I have that well, privilege. Well, just don't pay your rent. Well, that's true. <laughs> I guess I, I can, you know, and go on Channel 9 and say you're about to be evicted and see if anyone would care. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I just... I've just been listening to our previous Prime Minister and his wife, uh, the Turnbulls, talk about housing. And I always kind of had a bit of a chuckle when they were talking <laughs> a bit about their ideas about selling off golf courses yes. to build homes yes. to make them affordable. And I thought, yes, I could just see once you built off the on North Shore a golf course. <laughs> you you realise, look, even down at Cape Shank, right, miles away from... West Footscray, it's over 1.5 mil to have buy a house on a golf course, mate. Oh. <laughs> 1.5 mil. And I assume North Shore to be at least 4.5. I mean, where do you start? I always wonder, when you buy something like that, do you ever think about, well, how is he going to pay the rates? And I mean, like, can you even afford to get a bloody internet connection? At that rate, or do they just give it to you? Because who would ever think someone in North Shore that can not pay their bills? I don't know. Well, can I give you some advice, some unsolicited advice? That's my specialty. Oh, okay. The NBN is still a public property; it hasn't been privatised. They're getting it ready for privatisation. Yes. What that means is your local member, which is who's your local federal member again? Um, the former leader of the opposition who lost the unlosable election. Oh, uh, I'm bad with names. Yeah, thanks to of us. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. He, he's, he's, you're in his electorate, right? He's the minister for NDIS, and I assume you do get some NDIS oh, assistance. Bill, 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 Shorten. Bill Shorten. Bill Shorten, little Bill. Bill. Why shouldn't people on social security benefits, especially people on disability support pensions, not get a cheaper rate because currently the NBN is actually owned by us, the people. Good question. <laughs> and I, 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 think it's, I think it's something that you should really think about because he's a very, he's quite approachable. You're a member of his electorate. He is the minister for the NDIS. So, you know. But I, I just don't look at myself. I don't look him. The concern is that, you know, yes, okay, at the moment, but once it does get privatised... Now, hang on, the whole point is it doesn't get privatised. If it gets privatised, there is there is a piece in the legislation that people on Social Security benefits get a cheaper rate. Yeah, but you see, this is the whole thing. It's not as easy as what it looks. And, and no, it's not easy at all. It's exceptionally hard. I agree. Uh, and it's like, you know, people I've talked to, it's, you know... Where do you get the money from? And I, and I appreciate that the government can't keep giving sub, you know, handouts and that, but I always think to myself, are there other ways that we can work to provide the basic needs for people and then use the capital in other ways to redirect the money to support people, to have some quality of life and then perhaps not use the money that we are spending in other areas and redirect it to the most critical but, you know, I'm not an expert. I don't know. Mm. All I know is that every cent counts for a lot of people. And, you know, even the, your electricity bills. And now that we've cut out gas, and mm. uh, there's going to be an implication for the usage of electricity. Not everybody can afford solar power and get that six cents rebate. So you've got to look at what other ways, how are we going to cope with this massive consumption mm. that we're so fixated on? And how do we process that with a larger population growth? You know, we don't we don't build how we can't keep building and building the way we are before. 
So there has to be other ways. And that's why I could go on forever, as you can see. Go into co-housing option models, all sorts of different ways of housing, sheltering Mm -hmm. people. Right. Now, we've only got a few minutes left. Now, obviously, you're a survivor. That's the key. If people find themselves in a similar position, it doesn't have to be gender or sexuality. It can be anything. It can be culture, race, you know, it goes on and on. Um, What's the best way to survive? You've lived through it. Yeah, connections. It is finding your connections with others. Mm -hmm. That has shaped me because when I started to connect and listen to other people and their ways of dealing with adversity and dealing with processes on how to get change, then something in yourself builds up. And you get to the point where I am to say, why can't I have a go? Why can't I try for this? Why can't I put an application here? Just because we're brought up from a young age to think, oh, I, I don't have the skill. Oh, I should be waiting. But if you don't put yourself out there and try, then nothing will happen. And it's about connecting to community. It's listening and it's learning to connect with others who can assist you whether it be in, in writing, in and as you were just mentioning, meeting with your local members, you may not like them, but they're appointed to do a certain role, and that is they have to listen. And I've learned very early in my life that if you put things in writing and you take a photocopy or these days take a picture of it and file it somewhere, then you've got an action. They have to answer back. And you keep at it and at it and at it till you get an answer. And if you don't, then you find an avenue to speak. You connect with local radio, you connect with uh, Channel 31, and you get connected and you say, I have a story to tell you. And, you know, you've got to hear this story and get your message out there because that's the way for change to occur, to get yourself... And it goes back to Aristotle days when people were standing in the podium and speaking to the masses. That has not changed. Oh, it has changed. Because we can't well, do it on the Arab Bank anymore. They build a tennis well, centre there. Well, that's true. <laughs> well, you got, know, but we've well, got the net. You've got the net. You've got public we meetings. Are, yeah. Well, well you know, the whole thing is, but, you know, it's, it's connecting with others and building allies. That's right. And that's something that I've learned in writing a chapter. And it's very hard for me later in life to learn is I'm someone may not like the way I present myself or my positionality, but I have to find a common ground with them. And if I can find a common ground with that person, then I'm building strength and power. And, um, you know, we have to go back there, I say, to the works of Foucault and looking at power, how power works in government, how power works in change and influence. And that's the reality. You look at the people. You look at people like Trump. Mm-hmm. But he still has a strong power base. Mm-hmm. And what is it? It's not just money. You know, it's, it's something else behind that. And it's about learning how to influence people and how That's to get right. decisions made. Influencing. Well, Ricky Spence, it's been a pleasure having a, this short chat with you. Um, obviously, the outages uh, made it a little bit difficult, but it will be oh. it will be podcast. And if you don't like it, let us know and uh, oh, Kelly will edit the little bits that are... Oh, uh, it's added character to the whole conversation, well, I'd say. Oh, look. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, look, you know, it's been so wonderful to speak with uh, with you and to really kind of give me that kind of, yeah. just to allow me to kind of reflect back in my life Yes. and look at, you know, who I am today. It's mm. really a product where I was. All I can say is, all I can say, Ricky, is you're a great human being, a great asset oh. to this country. And even thank an asset you. to West Footscray. So thank you very <laughs> oh, much for talking to us. And keep me, keep me in the loop, yeah? And keep in touch. All the best. Just, Thank you. Okay, then. Thank Bye. you, Ricky. Bye. Bye. Okay, then. Bye.
3CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. We know you love listening to 3CR, but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.